0: Magnesium is naturally found in foods like This is
1: the Well and Good Podcast. Tune in to find the wellness that fits your frequency. everyone, and welcome to one of the hardest episodes I've ever had to host. While my very closest friends and I can chat about this topic, it's definitely not something I'm comfortable chatting about with the masses. But as I learned from our two very intelligent guests, it might be time to change that and start talking about poop. Like the infamous children's book taught us, everybody poops. And while it's not glamorous or always pleasant, it is a major indicator of our health and well being. And thus, conversing about and understanding our bowel movements or BMs is really the perfect topic for us here on the Well and Good podcast. I'm Senior Director of Creative Development, Ella Dove, and I'm here to talk about poop. When it comes to poop, there are so many questions, concerns, and contemplations. Maybe you've been afraid to ask them What should my poop look like? Or maybe. Does my poop look healthy? Should I be going more? Should I be going less? What about IBS? It feels like everyone has it, at least on TikTok. And uh, do I have constipation or is that maybe diarrhea? Those are just a few of the questions we want to talk to you about today, plus what we can be doing to promote healthier bowel movements. And most importantly, when to seek some professional help. And hopefully, we all together now get a little more comfortable saying poop. To help get me over my bit of reluctance, friends of the show, dietitian Bridget Zeitlin and Dr. B returned to talk about the ins and outs of pooping and why we should all be talking about it, even if it's a bit uncomfortable. So without further ado, let's talk number two.
0: I love it. I In a word, love. Um... So I love poop. I love talking about poop with my friends and my family. My mom does not like when I talk about poop, but my dad, who's a physician, gets down with it with me. We talk about all the things. I love it because it can tell us so much about our health, our internal well-being, what's going on. It can also tell us so much about how stressed out we are and how much care generally like we're taking of ourselves in that in like a stress anxiety kind of state, it tells us so much about our diet. And as a registered dietitian, obviously, i all about what we're putting into our bodies. And it can also, it can change like our, our uh, frequency of our poop changes based on like, if we're traveling and if we're having a stressful day, and it's so variable that if we're not talking about it freely, like it's hard to move through those things. I think if you feel like a little bit of shame around not about talking about it like it's it's to me it's as as essential to our health as breathing and drinking water. That was a beautiful setup for why everybody should stick around and listen to this whole episode. So thank you for that. <laughs> um that could be, what
1: do you love or maybe not about poop?
3: Well, so first of all, everybody poops, even Ryan Gosling. Right? So oh,
0: But his look beautiful. <laughs> Is have abs. I'm sure.
3: I'm sure they do. His, his poops have a six pack, don't they? Uh, damn you, Ryan Gosling. Damn you. If you're listening to this right now, I'm jealous of your bowel movements. Yes. yes. But I mean, look. So Ella, I can like see you getting a little more red as the moments pass here, and it's it's uncomfortable for many people to um to talk about this, and yet here come Bridget and I, and you know, I like literally talk about bowel movements for a living. And my wife is always like, why do our kids always talk about poop? The answer is they're my children. Like, <laughs> you know, their dad writes books about
1: poop. Yeah, potty training went great in your house. Right.
3: And and I agree with Bridget that, you know, we we have sort of stigmatized this. Like this is bathroom talk. We're not supposed to go there. We're not allowed to go there. And I'm not advocating that we like talk about poop at every single – well, look, if you want to talk about poop at every single meal and every single conversation, I personally wouldn't have a problem with it. Maybe other people would. but. I do think that to kind of riff off of what Bridget's been saying, I completely agree. This, this is an essential part of human health. And if we believe that gut health matters, which I would imagine the well and good audience, they believe that they know, you know, the the well and good audience is an informed audience. They understand that gut health is connected to our digestion, our immune system, our metabolism, our hormones, our mood, our brain health, our energy levels. Right. These are all very important, powerful things in our lives. Um, if you think that matters, like the, the window into your gut health, the most clear window is your bowel movement. Yeah. And it's happening, you know, hopefully a couple times a week, if not a couple times a day. And every single time, it's an opportunity to kind of check in on like, where am I at? Where's my gut at?
1: Yeah. I made that face because a couple times a week doesn't feel like enough to me, but we'll get into that in a second. I want to start us off with a primer from you, Dr. B. What is happening to our body? What processes are we moving through when we have a bowel movement?
3: Well, first of all, I think it's important for people to understand what is the constitution of a bowel movement. Like what, what is this stuff? And most of us, we just, I think intuitively, or at least we're raised to believe that this is mostly the excrement of our food. Like we call it waste, meaning that this is, you know, the part that we're trying to get rid of because we don't need it. We don't want it, whatever it may be. And that's not actually the truth. Instead, what we have found is that the your bowel movement, actually the majority of the mass of your bowel movement is actually coming from the microbes that live inside you. And these microbes, they're constantly turning over. So we're creating new generations of microbes, potentially every 20 minutes, a new generation comes out. I mean, it's crazy. So like, if this conversation goes on for an hour, we'll have, we'll go from what was a baby microbe to what is now a great grandparent in literally an hour. I mean, that's crazy.
1: That's beautiful.
3: And- you know, people think, well, if you don't eat, then you won't poop. No, that's not true. Again, this is, a, this is a reflection of your microbiome. You would certainly poop less because to create new microbes, part of what we have to do is we have to feed them and the food that we eat becomes their food. But even if you were not eating, even if you were fasting, you still have a microbiome. Your microbiome is still going to turn over to some extent, perhaps at a slower pace, and you're still ultimately going to have bowel movements. And, you know, when we look at bowel movements and what's going on there, what we're really looking at is a reflection of the gut microbiome. And, and we've, they've shown this, they've actually shown this in clinical research studies where they will correlate, for example, Ella, I don't know if you are planning to talk about this or not, but there is this thing that exists called the Bristol stool scale. And anyone who's listening right now, if you have like a phone or a computer, just Google this Bristol, B-R-I-S-T-O-L, Bristol stool scale. There's seven types of bowel movements and you can look at pictures of them and decide what kind of bowel movement do you have? Well, it turns out that the Bristol stool scale and the types of bowel movements that exist have been correlated to specific patterns that exist within the gut microbiome. So again, like this is the window into our gut health. And this is, this is what's sort of going on there is that our gut microbes are coming together to form this bowel movement.
1: Yeah. And just to back up a little bit further, I don't want to convolute the idea of like, you you know, you eat food and it comes out the other end. Like it's that simple, but like from the time you eat a meal to digestion, how connected is like your meal to your next movement, I guess. Can you walk us through sort of what's happening in your body?
3: Yeah. Well, so one of the things that I've had happen many times is patients will come in and say, look, my bowel movement like literally runs through me. I eat and then I poop like instantly." So I want to explain that. But first of all, you should understand that's not actually what you just ate. That's your body mobilizing what's already in there that you probably ate about 24 hours ago. So the rhythm and how quickly we poop, like how long it takes for it to travel from one end to the other, is variable for each of us. If you were to look and say what is normal or average, it's typically about 24 hours, about 24 hours of transit time from the top all the way to the bottom, and then it comes out. But for some people, Particularly if you have constipation, it's gonna be slower than that. And for some people who have diarrhea, it may be, it may be faster than that. When it comes to this sort of like eating and then having a bowel movement come out, what's actually happening in there is something called the gastrocolic reflex. So gastro meaning stomach, colic, referring to the colon, which is the large intestine, the last part of our intestinal system. And what people need to know is that these parts of our body they're intertwined. They're connected to one another. They're speaking to one another through nerve reflexes. And when something hits the stomach, the stomach basically will notify the colon. It'll put in a call, say, hey, look, I got something coming down the pipes here. We need you to vacate some space and make it clear. And so it's very normal for people to Eat and then have a bowel movement afterwards. Many people, this is their daily pattern. They have coffee or they have their breakfast and then they poop. So, yes, there is a connection from the stomach to the colon. There's also a connection from the colon back to the stomach where if you are constipated, it actually could make you feel nausea. So, it's kind of interesting how the entire system is combined. But if you follow it through, what you're going to find is it takes about 24 hours for it to pass through your stomach, your small intestine, which, by the way, is about 10 to 15 feet long. And then your colon which is about five feet long for most people wow
1: all right so so much to talk about here bridget can you please talk us through what you qualify when you're working with your clients patients as a normal bowel movement bowel patterns all of that
0: i like to see my clients poop daily have a bm daily you know i do have clients who come to me who are pooping sometimes every other day, sometimes only twice a week. And that's, that's one of the first questions I ask when we start working together. What is, what is your current valve movement situation, routine? I also like to pay attention a little bit to, are they only having a BM after they have coffee? Because coffee, the caffeine is a stimulant, right? So it stimulates our brain and our energy. It also stimulates our GI system, which is great, right? You're, we're all going to have BMs after we get a little GI stimulation. But it, I'll also learn more about your, your diet overall and your stress levels overall um, if it's not always related to if like, if I took coffee out of your morning routine, are you still pooping? So I like to know I kind of like to know how frequently they're doing it. Also, most people aren't having a BM and then turning around and looking in the bowl and like checking it out, right? But I do. <laughs> but they, but, they, but, but perhaps and they I, should. But perhaps and I they do should. that and I don't like poop. The- <laughs> yes, yes. So, but I also I want to know is it area? Is it formed, right? Is it the rabbit droppings? Because the rabbit droppings, which is on the Bristol stool chart, you'll see, it's you're moving your bowels, you're having things come out, you're having stool come out, but it is actually a sign of constipation. So just because you're having something, come out you're not not constipated so I do want to know a little bit about the consistency um if a client's coming to me for GI issues specifically I also always want to know are they noticing blood in their stool so the color is it looking black is there is it very red things like that too is, is something I ask my clients as well
1: And Dr. B, can you expand upon that a little bit more? When you're talking about normal, what's normal to you? What are you asking about?
3: Okay. There is so much to talk about here. The frequency is the part that everyone seems to talk about. I think that the evolution of our understanding of what is a normal bowel movement needs to go beyond the frequency. And I completely agree with Bridget that don't just look at the frequency, look at the consistency. The combination of those two things are extremely insightful in terms of helping us to understand what's going on with your body. The Bristol stool scale goes from type one up to type seven, a normal bowel movement. Now, let me just say like normal in quotes a little bit, because it doesn't, if you are outside of this type, you can still be normal, but a normal bowel movement is centered around a Bristol type four. This is like, first of all, it's soft but formed. It's sausage shaped. And when this happens, you're like, yo, that was awesome. And you walk out of the bathroom, the door whips open and like rock music, like a guitar solo is blasting in the background An explosion goes off and dubs fly out in slow motion and you strut out. And your wife goes, what are you doing? <laughs> Get back to changing diapers. So anyway... <laughs> Um, Bristol four is sort of the normal (laughs) form of bowel movement. Uh, Bristol one is what Bridget was describing, which is the sort of rabbit pellets. And then Bristol seven is just the completely loose, completely watery, not formed at all, basically diarrhea type bowel movement. Okay. So we, we look at, we look at how often you're going. We look at the form, but I would add one additional variable that I think is very important and often overlooked, even by gastroenterologists. How do you feel? Do you feel like you're completely evacuating? Because one of the major issues that exists that can be very confusing to everyone involved is if you are not completely evacuating your colon. And these people, they may strain to go they may feel like they didn't it wasn't satisfying. People know how that feels, right? You can describe that yourself. And or you you may be someone that you poop and then you got to poop again 45 minutes later or like an hour later and that's because you never really completely emptied in the first place. And the reason why this is so important is that these are the people who can poop every day and still be constipated. These are the people who can poop 5 times a day And every single one of those bowel movements is a little chicken nugget. And when you combine those five bowel movements into one, they still don't account for a complete bowel movement. So they're still backing up. And so it's important to understand this because there's a lot of people out there who are suffering with gas and bloating or other symptoms that are potentially related to constipation. And they say, but it's not constipation. I'm pooping every day. I'm pooping five times a day. And the point is that constipation is the manifestation of symptoms resulting from inadequate evacuation and inadequate evacuation could be that it's not frequent enough, but inadequate evacuation could also be that you're not completely emptying.
2: Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road.
0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code Wondery at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today
1: with Byte. That was a beautiful segue into my next topic of conversation. But first of all, I wanna say that you are slowly just ruining like all processed meats for me during this conversation. Sausage and chicken nuggets are now both off the table. Thank you for that, Dr.
3: me. That was intentional. I'm I'm doing ninja mind tricks right now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's good. Exactly. Yeah, love it. I also just you're sitting in front of a photo of artichokes, which is cracking me up. Okay, so we're gonna go through constipation, nation. I feel like among my friend group, first of all, let me say it's really hard to not talk about myself while we're doing this, but I have. All right. So I think constipation is probably one of the most popular kind of situations people find themselves in, um, it's really, really common. What is it and why is it bad? Like, how does it affect our health negatively and how do we recognize it and what causes it?
3: Okay. So, um, I feel that there's an epidemic of constipation in the United States. And a lot of the people who have this, they don't even realize that constipation is their issue. Oftentimes they will attribute the symptoms that they're experiencing to something else. So let me start off with the symptoms of constipation, and then we can kind of dig into some of these things. So the number one symptom of constipation in my experience is gas and bloating. Mm -hmm. Virtually every single person who is constipated will experience gas and bloating. One of the measures that I would use in terms of, am I adequately treating this person? Am I getting them to poop the way that they're supposed to? Is what's going on with the gas and bloating? Has it gone away? Because when the gas and bloating goes away, that means you're pooping and that means you're really moving uh, things through. Other symptoms of constipation can include cramping discomfort. The, The discomfort, by the way, could potentially come in waves after a meal. It can be very intense. Some people that have severe, this is not necessarily a routine or normal symptom, but this is more of an occasional intense moment. Some people, the constipation, cramping pain can be so intense and severe that they honestly think that they need surgery. They think that there's something wrong with their body. And it's because they're their body is interpreting what's happening almost like a bowel obstruction because they're blocked up. You can also have just sort of dull discomfort. That dull discomfort could be in all quadrants of the abdomen. So when I say quadrants, I mean like the lower abdomen, the upper abdomen. When it's in the upper corners, like right upper corner, left upper corner, it can radiate to the back. It can masquerade like a gallbladder issue. Some people think it's their gallbladder. When you have left upper quadrant pain radiating to your back, The vast majority of the time, that's actually constipation. There's very few organs in the left upper quadrant, and most of them don't really cause pain. So most of the time, that's a colonic issue. And then the other place that you could feel it is around the belly button. And when you feel belly button pain, that's actually typically small bowel pain. That's not your colon. But um, when you're backed up in your colon, then your small bowel, many times you'll get gas, and then you feel that there. So other constipation symptoms include nausea, extremely common. It's sort of a queasiness. You don't typically throw up. You just feel queasy. You might lose your appetite. You might get full very quickly. Some people get acid reflux and then fatigue or low energy or even brain fog are actually quite common symptoms that most doctors don't really know what to make of that, but you are experiencing it and it is real. So when a person is constipated they're they're manifesting these symptoms now obviously it's not only constipation that can cause gas and bloating there's many different things but when they have a change in their bowel habits you know again it could be that you're not going often so like you're going once a week or every 3 days it could be that when you go it's these little uh, like hard balls of stool or a bowel movement that's lumpy bumpy with cracks in it. that's a Bristol tool too by the way. Or it could be that you're straining to go and you're not really evacuating and you're not satisfied and you feel like you still have to go even though even though you just went. So these are all potential sort of ways in which a person may manifest constipation. and one of the one of the sort of tricky challenging things about constipation is how do you prove it? So to me, there's two ways. One can be with imaging. By imaging, I mean a CAT scan or an x-ray. The challenge is that you really have to ask your radiologist to specifically tell you whether or not there's constipation because most of the time they don't look or pay attention to stool. So the doctor has to like specifically be looking for this. The second way that you can prove that it's constipation is start pooping. Just to be clear for everyone, this is not something I would recommend that you do based on hearing us on the Well and Good podcast, talk to your medical doctor. But one of the things that I will often do with my patients is give them a bottle of magnesium citrate, which is available over the counter. You drink the bottle of magnesium citrate. It gives you a couple of bowel movements. When you have a couple of bowel movements, pay attention to your symptoms. If the cramping and the pain go away, if the gas and the bloating go away and you're better for a few days, and then they start to creep back in. It really is showing you that this is tied to your bowel movements.
1: That was my next question. I think probably everyone listening can remember a time when they've experienced some of those symptoms, but maybe not all the time. How do you distinguish between, you know, you're constipated because you're a little dehydrated, you have too much cheese, whatever causes it for you versus like it's a chronic issue that you might want to like make a major lifestyle change about.
3: So the person who has occasional symptoms has mild constipation. That's constipation that may come and go what I would do with that particular person, first of all, is pay attention to the, to the relief that you experience when you have a good, healthy bowel movement. So that, cause that person may still have a good, healthy one and then they like have a great day. Right. And if that's the case, then your body is telling you that you need to be move, moving and mobilizing these bowels more efficiently. And this is the person where, um, increasing your water intake, a little bit of exercise, like literally just taking a walk after dinner um, and some fiber, perhaps a fiber supplement may be adequate to get the bowels going and take care of this issue. For, For me as a gastroenterologist, those people never make it to me. So I'm seeing people with more moderate or severe constipation and moderate or severe constipation are the people who this is not just an occasional thing. This is a daily thing.
1: Bridget, when you're seeing, I imagine this is a big part of people you see, how are you coaching them through changes to
0: kind of relieve constipation before they have to go find themselves in Dr.
1: B's office?
0: It's very similar to what Dr. B is talking about, right? Also, sometimes too, again, like I check in similarly with, I think Dr. B would agree, like how are they feeling just in their day? Yes, when they poop. Yes, when they have a bowel movement, how are they feeling there? But then also how stressed out are they during the day? because, right, our gut-brain connection, when we are super stressed working at the office all day, very few people feel comfortable having a BM in the office bathroom, right? So they're holding it in, (laughs) right? If they're working from home, maybe they feel a little bit more relaxed and easier to to go. What is their stress kind of level at throughout throughout the day too? Um, So those are, sometimes I will also, consider adding in a probiotic if they're not already on one. Um, you know, and when I do, when I do do that, I, there are a couple of different ones, you know, not, not everyone is going to feel great on every, every probiotic. There's a little bit of trial and error, the right one that works for you. Typically with, with my clients who have vaginas, I always recommend a woman's probiotic that you get um, healthy vaginal bacteria as well, but probiotics, water, with the fiber and the movement and like a a check in on your stress level and your and your overall day and how how that's factoring into to your gut health. Yeah.
1: So before we move on to diarrhea, when maybe Dr. B take this one quickly, like when is it a problem that's become big enough that you should definitely go see a gastro specialist or somebody because what you're trying on your own isn't working.
3: Okay, so since we're segueing into diarrhea, I think it's a great opportunity for us to say that if there's a significant change in your bowel habits, right? If this is like a if this is a different pattern than what you're used to, and it's a sustained thing that's ongoing, to me that is justification to go and talk to a doctor and just make sure that everything is okay. So any sort of change in bowel habits, whether it's more towards constipation or more towards diarrhea, would be justification. The other aspect to this is. And this is, I think, also a more sort of global, uh, not just constipation, but speaking more globally. When you have things that are affecting your quality of life and you're not able to feel like you're your best version of yourself because of these things, I think that is also justification for people to pursue at least an evaluation, but also like, um, if it's constipation and we get you pooping, and we get you into a good rhythm, you are going to feel so much better.
0: Yeah, the cosign all of that. You're gonna feel so, yes.
1: (laughs) And I think that that idea that like, if something is wrong and bothering you, you should see a doctor. I think we have sort of a very, there is a Western ideal that like, a lot of stuff is just normal that isn't, I know this happens a lot in women's health, like you're, but we'll avoid that. Maybe that's the next episode, but I like hearing you should go see a doctor. Diarrhea. I had E. coli for a year. So oh, this dear. one is really close to my heart. <laughs> yeah. And you didn't talk about it? No, didn't see a doctor. Are we talking? <laughs> I didn't talked see about a it. Doctor. Oh. <laughs> it took me a year to like the full diet. It was a whole thing. Anyway. So let's talk about diarrhea. What is diarrhea? What's happening to your body? What can it be dangerous? You know, like as a kid, diarrhea is a big thing. And then you kind of get older and nobody talks about it anymore. What's going on there?
3: So uh diarrhea is it's more than just the consistency of our stool, although our consistency is certainly part of what diarrhea is. Classically, we're gonna think about diarrhea as being something that has no form. Uh, Like the more watery that it becomes, the more that this is resembling diarrhea. But typically in association with, with sort of the consistency being very loose, the other thing that you'll find is that there's an urgency. So you feel like you have to rush to the restroom. Right, And when there's that urgency and there's that sort of explosiveness to it, those are things that I would qualify as having diarrhea. Um, Part of where that comes from, by the way, is just so that people understand, is that your rectum, which is the very last part of your colon, the rectum is designed to be something almost like a stomach in the sense that it can expand or contract and it's designed in a way where when things get in there it can sort of accommodate those things but when it's irritable and particularly when what's in there is liquid the problem is that our bottom was not designed to stop liquid from coming out our bottom was designed to stop solid poop from coming out so when we're having liquid poops it's a, it, you know we don't again this is another thing that's been stigmatized and we don't talk about it and i understand why people don't talk about it they're embarrassed but like incontinence Actually, is very common. There are a lot of people who suffer with these symptoms. I don't feel that they should feel embarrassed because that's not something that they actually have control over. And, you know, that incontinence is going to sort of be associated with diarrhea. The more urgency that you have, the more likely you are to experience incontinence. Mm -hmm.
1: So diarrhea for you, Bridget, when you're seeing this with your patients, are you seeing other lifestyle things that are impacting it? Are you seeing it impacting their kind of like health and nutrition? Cause they're not absorbing nutrients as much as they should be. Can you talk me through that?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it affect their lifestyle a lot. They're afraid to eat out because they don't know when, right. The urgency is going to come in. And so it's affecting, like, they're not going to go on that date. They're not going to go to that girl's night. They're nervous about going on a long car ride, right? Like it's, it's affecting their, their overall quality of life. And, um, and that's, that's a a big issue. So we talk a little, we talk about that. I think also I am quick to refer out to a, a GI doctor when I think that, you know, I'm, I love a integrative approach to, to health and and wellness. So the more, the more, and more people we can get in there and try to come at it with like a whole whole team approach, the better and and the faster, sooner we'll be able to alleviate some of these these issues and lifestyle changes. Um,
3: I just want to say real quick, I so agree with that. And I think that one of the challenges that exists in modern healthcare is that people get frustrated when they don't get a one-stop shop that fulfills everything that they're looking for. And I would really encourage the people who are listening to this to not think about healthcare as who's the one person that I need to fix all my problems. But instead, how do I build a team of people that I have confidence in and I feel connected to so that I can accomplish my health goals with their support? And that's where you need someone like Bridget just as much as, you know, uh, I, I feel the same way about re- referring out to registered dietitians because gastroenterologists were not designed to fulfill what registered dietitians do.
0: It's a it's a team effort. It's a team effort. And I think also like LAU had said, you know, with women, especially where we're frequently told that like it's the norm or it's just in your head. We have to be every patient has to be their own biggest advocate. And there's an added burden to to women to speak up and not just think it's in our head to be like, no, 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 something's definitely wrong. So having a a team with physicians, with dietitians, like that that you trust, that like you feel seen and heard with is Super important, and the truth is that might not be the first dietitian you see. It might not be the first gastroenterologist you see. You might have to see another one be like, no, 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 this person got me. So really, really being your your biggest advocate. Well, and what's
1: tricky about that is that is how we all wish it could be, but it's a privilege to be able to have access to that kind of healthcare because you have to get a referral and then that referral is covered. But if you didn't like that doctor, your insurance isn't paying for the second specialist visit just because you didn't enjoy the first one. So it's really so complicated, fun. but I think right. that thinking about it as like, you're going to have to take this in your
0: own hands and build your team to figure out what's wrong is a really good place. to start. I think also before you go into a doctor's appointment, having a list of questions or a dietitian's appointment, any of having a list of questions, really, really spend some time for that whole week leading up to it write down every symptom you're feeling what you're noticing and then write down questions that you have right i while i don't believe in dr google everyone is googling their things right you're going it's so it's going to trigger other questions for you if you're looking up on the well and good website about like this is constipation you're going to get a lot of information right really really flush out write down what your specific questions are don't diagnose yourself from any website but have some solid questions and, and piece together what like track your symptoms for a week. You know, I think that keeping a food journal is super, super helpful with this. So if you are someone who is noticing urgency and diarrhea, right. Or you're someone who's feeling bloated and gassy, regardless of what you're eating, right. Really, really keep, keep a food journal. And then, and then next to it, keep a physical symptoms note. Right. So gassy, bloated, diarrhea, whatever, and then also keep like an emotional segment of that too. Like your, your internal, your feelings, feelings, right. Stressed, anxious, um, big project at work, travel, like some, what else is going on? Like in your, in your life to give a little bit of context and then go into every appointment with that. Yeah. Yeah. Dr.
3: Bay, what did you have to add? Yeah, I was, I was, I was going to basically say what Bridget just said, which is that I, I really believe that we're in a new era where sort of the paternalistic model of healthcare is over. Like we need to toss that and move into a new phase where people are empowered. You know, I believe that people are, they are, they may not be trained in medicine the way that I am, but they are intelligent and they understand their own body far more than I do because they live in that body. And I'm only with them with for, for a short period of time. And part of what I sort of see my responsibility as is to empower people to understand that on a higher level. And so, and there's a lot of ways that you can do that. You know, uh, reading on well and good, finding credible, reliable sources. If you, for example, with me, if you like me and you enjoy my work, there's a full spectrum of options where you can take courses, but you could also like literally go and mm-hmm. borrow my book from the library.
1: Yeah. I love that. And I think so much about poop, especially it's like in the vault, you know, we don't really talk about it. You don't even want to talk to your doctor about it. And this is really good. So before we move on from diarrhea, what are there diet changes you recommend people take when they start to notice those symptoms? Obviously like see a professional, take care of yourself, but you know, is there a list of foods you consider maybe eliminating when you're starting to notice a new onset of diarrhea?
0: I like to, um, make sure that people are that we're paying attention to the amount of processed sugary foods that are coming in to the system. So, and when I say sugary foods, people automatically think sweets. I'm not talking like that. Yes. That does mean the, the donuts that you're eating and the candy, but it, but also sugar is, we have salty versions of that too. So potato chips, um, right. White processed, um, baked goods and not baked goods are sweet white the white floured foods right so white bread white rice like what there there can be there can be saltier sweeter versions of chocolate covered
3: bacon foods.
0: chocolate there you go beautiful <laughs> chocolate covered bacon all my problem right there right so and the and the process so and then the processed foods in terms of the processed meats right so really really paying attention to how much processed foods are coming into your into your life versus whole fresh foods And then something else, if you're, you know, with with diarrhea, I typically recommend people cook their vegetables versus eating raw foods too, to kind of let the overstimulation. So when we eat, and Dr. B will elaborate too, but when we eat raw vegetables, we're getting a little bit more fiber and stimulating the gut a bit more. When we're having diarrhea, it's already, we already have this sense of urgency that we're running to the bathroom. We want to like slow that down. So- or, um, so cooked vegetables over eating that big old salad for lunch can be really helpful, too. Also, a probiotic here can be helpful as well. Um, and sometimes, too, I also amp up the omega-3s in their in their diet because there is a lot of inflammation and irritability going on. And omega-3s can help calm inflammation. So salmon, um, other fatty fish, right? Nuts and seeds, so that that's kind of where I I start. Um, and also too, again, with because there because there's so much affecting your life when you have diarrhea, your lifestyle is so drastically affected. Also, really paying attention to what self care can we work in here? Can we do some meditation? Can we do some walking? Um, can you do some like aside from the food journal? Can you just do some feelings journaling? Right? Some other things that are going to help with the self-care and, the sh- and lowering the stress and the anxiety that, you know, and, and sometimes it's a little bit of which came first, the chicken or the egg, Did the stress and anxiety lead to the diarrhea is the diarrhea leading to the stress and anxiety. It's all on this big shitty cycle. Okay.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I'm Chang. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. I, so when I approach diarrhea, just to kind of step back for a moment and I'm going to put on my sort of, you know, doctor's white coat for a moment here. And before, I kind of feel like when we go into a doctor's office or a healthcare practitioner's office, potentially a dietitian's office, the first question out of our mouth is often, so what do I need to do? And I instead think the first question needs to be, and we need to sort of pump the brakes a little bit and ask, what's going on? You know, what is the actual problem here? Because ultimately creating strategies, like for example, if I send someone to Bridget, the success of Bridget in creating a dietary pa- plan for that individual person is contingent and completely dependent on my ability to first make the proper diagnosis of what we're actually trying to treat. She's going to do different things for different medical conditions. Obviously, if a person has celiac disease and that's what's causing their diarrhea, we're, in- we're instantly going to implement a gluten-free diet and they're going to be better. So uh, I come from a place of we need to understand what is the problem. And just to walk people through real quick, in the interest of time, I'll I'll move very quickly and efficiently here. Um, Some of the things that I think about, the first question is, is this happening every single day? Like, is this a chronic problem or does it come and go? If it comes and goes, there's a very real possibility that this is more something on the spectrum of irritable bowel syndrome, or it's something related to foods. Like, There are specific foods that are causing problems. That's where the food diary that Bridget was talking about can come in really handy because if you can correlate, oh, wow, when I have this food, I have this diarrhea. Okay, that's really powerful. I had a patient once. It wasn't even food. It was gum. He was chewing gum and then he would have diarrhea. And it was the artificial sweeteners that were causing the issue. On the topic, by the way, of artificial sweeteners, there are two foods that, or two sort of big categories of nutrients that if a person walks in and tells me they're having diarrhea, or if they tell me they're having bloating, I'm instantly going to ask them about this. The first is dairy. If you consume dairy, 70% of the world is lactose intolerant. The second is artificial sweeteners. Many people don't realize, they think, oh, well, it's, it's low calories, therefore it must be good. That's a little bit of health washing. Um, artificial sweeteners can cause digestive symptoms for sure. And bloating and diarrhea are the classics. So if you consume them, get rid of them for a week and see how you feel.
1: Yeah. IBS is where I wanted to go next. Hot girl IBS is like a thing on TikTok right now. We'll leave that to its own devices, but IBS is pretty common, but I've, and this could be completely incorrect. I've kind of been told to think about it a little bit. It's almost like saying you have acne. It's like, okay, yes, this is happening to you, but there's probably something else that's causing it. Is that true? What is IBS? Is it as prevalent as people think?
3: IBS is extremely prevalent. Um, I would describe it as the most common digestive issue that I've uh, taken care of. And um, it can come in many forms. So let me sort of describe what IBS is. First of all, irritable bowel syndrome, uh, IBS It came about about 40 years ago when doctors were noticing that there was a pattern that kept showing up in their clinic, yet they didn't really have a way to describe or diagnose this particular pattern, but the pattern kept showing up. And the pattern is basically people that have abdominal discomfort of some variety, that abdominal discomfort is associated with a change in their bowel bowel movements. So it could be diarrhea. It could be constipation. It could be both. But you have both of these things, discomfort and a change in bowel habits. And classically, um, when it's irritable bowel syndrome, people find that their pain improves after a bowel movement. Now, it's not just IBS that does this. So don't like hear this and say, oh, I must have IBS. Again, this is a diagnosis of exclusion. You have to take the other things off the table. There are a couple specific diets that have been shown to be beneficial in, in irritable bowel syndrome, specifically the low FODMAP diet. The issue with the low FODMAP diet is that many people implement it the wrong way. So what they do is they basically eliminate FODMAPs and then they never bring them back in. That's not the way that it's supposed to be. Um, It's not supposed to be permanent restriction. It's meant to be identifying your triggers and then moderating them.
1: Travel's another thing. I think at this point, we're all pretty much on the same page. Like, your schedule got messed up. Your body's in a new place. You're not necessarily comfortable. And that's a big reason why it can be hard to go to the bathroom while you travel. Is there anything else that causes that? And mostly, what are your solutions for traveler syndrome?
0: Um, yeah, I think being out of your routine, right? If, also, if, you, if you're if you experiencing, um, like, jet lag, too, if, if it's been a long flight, you're changing time zones, that can also factor into Constipation of it. Um, I always travel with a probiotic. I find that that's really helpful. You can absolutely travel with Dr. B. Earlier at the top of our um, talk, mentioned magnesium citrate. You can travel with. There's a supplement brand called um, Natural Vitality. They're, it's called Calm. They make like travel to go packages of magnesium. You can bring that with you really easily in your in your handbag um, handbag or carry on. And dissolve that in a glass of water, you know, mix that up and drink that down, and that will really help to get things going there. So those are and also getting onto an easy, quick sleep routine as soon as you can, right? Helping to helping to kind of recalibrate to whatever time zone you're in and also resets like the quicker you can get into any type of routine, the better. And and starting with our sleep routine, since you're still sleeping while you're on vacation very helpful something else that comes up i think a lot when we're traveling um, is hydration typically we're not drinking enough water right because we're running from site to site or we're on the beach you know sweating all day in the beautiful sun whatever our type of vacation we're taking hydration quickly seems to be the first thing to go if you're also so making sure that you're staying well hydrated with with h2o sparkling is fine flat is fine with lemon without whichever you prefer
1: there are many more topics we could dig into when it comes to the wide world of number two. Thanks to Bridget, and Dr. B, hopefully we all have a little more clarity on how to monitor our health through our VMs, no matter how unglamorous it may be at times. Want to hear more from Bridget and Dr. B? Send us an email at podcast at wellandgood.com and let us know what you want us to talk about. On today's show, you heard me in conversation with Dr. B and Bridget Zeitlin. This episode was scripted in part by Megan Hayward and produced by Taylor Camille, Abby Stone, and myself, Ella Dove, along with many other hands and brains at Well and Good. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share. Mixing and scoring by our friends at Edit Audio, and our theme music was created by Madeline Komsky and Matt DiDomenico. Our show art was designed by Jenna Gibson and Karina Masonette.